welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. And today we check in for another weekly, bi-weekly, <laughs> bi-monthly, we don't know what, installment <laughs> of Greg's Sunday morning discussion... I can't think of any alliteration, so we'll just stop there. So what's going on? <laughs> you know, we had another interesting one today, or pardon me, the other day, and uh, yeah, things got a little, things got a little fiery, and um, we also had, uh, in addition to, so the minister's there pretty much every week, he, he he's pretty regular, uh, and then we have three elders, and one of them is... You know, maybe seventy percent of the time, and one of them is about twenty percent of the time, and the other one never comes. So this last time we had all the elders there. Hmm. Yes, and 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 a, <laughs> and a couple of people said to me, "So what do you think that was about?" And I think, yeah, I think somebody put in a request. <laughs> so wait, this has gone from I don't know weeks or months ago to a few people showing up to the pastor and all the elders. <laughs> Oh, and the and the and the uh, the the adolescents too. Oh, they're still coming too. Well, they kind of weren't there two weeks, like two times ago, and then last week, uh, this 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 just this past Sunday, they were. Wow. So so, so go backwards a little bit. So, I think you kind of came into the fall mm. or autumn, depending on preference of terms there, and you were kind of like, okay, I'm going to be a little more direct, and we're going to really start getting to the bottom of some stuff. Right. And so yeah, you were throwing, I was telling Tommy this last night, she thought it was hilarious too. You were throwing around this idea or this kind of sarcastic, you know, the Holy Spirit reads the Bible for me. And you were, I think you were going to start going down the path of, well, let's see if the Holy Spirit is giving everyone the same answer or something like that. Well, you know, I was going to go down that road, but, but I think that there's another shorter, there's a shortcut. And, and I think, I think we're going to take the shortcut instead, but yeah, so, so this began, this whole thing began where, uh, we just had a discussion on an article in the very first class. And out of that was raised this idea that God is overcoming all the time. God's will is essentially being done all the time. And as we moved into discussing this, there were immediately objections that were thrown up. And it became apparent in some of the objections that the people were reading the Bible in some very um, different ways than I would. So I raised this this quotation from J.I. Packer, where he basically says that understanding what the text meant in the past, in terms of, you know, linguistic, cultural context, uh, literary context, uh, all of that stuff, is is our job as human beings. God's not going to somehow... Like communicate that to us, download that into our brains, uh, is not going to uh, short circuit the process of us doing the hard work of getting it. And Packer would also say, and it's strange too, because I chose Packer thinking that they would listen because it was Packer. I don't necessarily like Packer on this. I think he's right. Like I'm not citing somebody as being correct that I don't think is correct. It's just that I think other people stated a lot better than he does, but I chose him because it was him. So he's a familiar source. Yeah. A familiar authority. Yeah, and apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. Well, you know what struck me? This totally jumped out at me. And 
just kind of out of the middle of nowhere when you were talking about how, what did you say? God's purposes, God is constantly, all of God's purposes are, are being met or happening. How did oh, you God's say that? God's will is happening all the time. Right. And I think from the, th- from a perspective that says, uh, God is in charge of everything. God is omnipotent. God mm-hmm. can do everything mm-hmm. without really thinking that through to what that really means. Mm-hmm. And if there can be any limitations to that, because the broad brush, you know, uh, children's Sunday school version is God's all powerful. He can do everything and he's in charge of everything. Yeah. The more That's nuanced a- grown up, like, wait a minute, this doesn't always work. Is, is that really true? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think some people go to the position of, yes, he's absolutely in charge of everything. But then, like you say, when you start to get into this territory of evil and all that, you have some harder decisions to make. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. But some people would paint right over those and just say, well, but it's too mysterious and God's ways are not our ways. And we can't understand why God would just orchestrate all this evil anyway. And but it's just part of his plan. Well, yes. And, you know, the fascinating, the fascinating thing for me is we haven't even been able to get past go, which is how is, how do you interpret the Bible, right? This whole question of how or how is the Bible interpreted has been a complete obstacle for us. So I've got, you know, I realized that as of, as of this week, there, there's been a little bit of a shift. Some people have shifted a little. Some people are still holding their original positions, uh, and I've now got two different varieties, two different forms of this objection. And one I would call the strong form, which is God through the Holy Spirit regularly uh, gives me the meaning of the biblical text. And the soft form is, no, normally that doesn't happen, but, that, but God could do that whenever God chose to. Right? And by meaning of the biblical text, what... Well, here, this is another little little thing here, right? Because when we're talking about the whole thing from Packer, he's he's saying, you. so what I did is I put together two, two sort of references, one from Packer and one from a guy named Gordon Fee. Now, interestingly enough, they both used to work, well, Packer, I think still does, is still at Regent. He was at Regent when I was there. Gordon Fee had just left. Um, but Fee would say, and this is my paraphrase of fee. I would say it a little, I would say it like I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's pretty darn close to what he's saying. The Bible cannot possibly mean now, like its meaning now cannot be detached from its meaning then. There's a relationship there. And if you don't have a clue of what it meant now, you can't understand what it means. Uh, what a, if you don't have a clue of what it meant then, you can't have possibly understand what it means now. Yes. I've been, right. Yes, yes, yes. Because I've been reading, I keep feeling drawn to the book of Hebrews. Why? I have no idea. Interesting. And I've been reading it on my iPad. In fact, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll throw this out. Yeah. Little tick, tech tip of the day. There's an ESV app that's just the Bible huh. in the way that you like it. You can turn off the verses and you can turn on this reading mode where it's just a stream of text. That just nice. scrolls infinitely. So anyway, I've been reading it, and I went to a commentary because I thought, well, this is interesting. I wonder what this means, or where does this come from? Mm. And it was really fascinating as they were talking about how the authorship is not totally crystal clear, mm. and the person that was writing it, being that we don't really know exactly who was writing it, that 
they were responding to certain things happening in certain places at that particular time. Mm -hmm, And I was mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, of course. But then I was like, oh, so all these verses that people just love to just rip right out of Hebrews (laughs) as support for whatever. I was like, yeah, here, this is the crux of the problem. So this person was writing Hebrews to these people for this particular, with this particular context in mind. And yet in today's culture or time, we just rip out one verse and be like, look, I can name and claim this verse. Yeah, exactly. That whole name and claim. Yeah, continue, yeah, yeah. Continue. So I, it just it's uncanny. Well, no, it, it, this, this is, it's this whole conjunction of you can't divorce what it means now from what it meant then. If you don't know what it meant, then you can't possibly know what it means now. Um, you know, the two don't have to be the same. They could be. They could be. They could be different. And Packer's response or Cap Packer's view is that, yep. And determining what it means now is down to us as human beings. Now, I would say there's a little bit of a little bit of the Holy Spirit in there for as Christians do that. I mean, particularly as a as a Christian, if I'm pursuing um, the original meaning in terms of a you know a problem text or whatever, I think that the Holy Spirit kind of enhances my willingness uh, and and increases my motivation to keep looking. Now, somebody could say that in a negative sense and say, oh, yeah, well, you just don't want to deal with the fact that there's a there's a contradiction there. And I would say, yeah, the contradictions do bother me. I want to figure out if there is one. But, you know, by and large, I'm agreeing with both of them, very much so, right? And so Packer's view is that the Holy Spirit's role is understanding, helps us understand what it means now, helping helping Christians apply the Bible as scripture, as this thing which is determinative for life and practice. So, and yet, the, and yet, so much of the scripture, at least the New Testament, are letters to other people. Yeah, yeah, interesting, huh? I know we talked about this a hundred times, but it just keeps hitting me in the face. Of this is a letter written by a person <laughs> mm. to a group of people about specific things. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I mean, it's, we call them occasional <laughs> letters because they're occasioned by something. Something happens. They sent, somebody sent a letter. This, this uh, apostle or whomever writes back. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just strikes me as very profound, but continue. So where, so you've got these two, so resummarize the two groups again and then. Where yeah. We get the hard view, which is uh, the hard form or the hard view, which is basically saying the Holy Spirit regularly helps me understand what the Bible means. Now, of course, Packed into that notion of what the Bible means is is if if you're gonna do it, you know, with Fee and Packer is you're understanding what it meant then. You're understanding what it meant originally, so that you can understand what it means now. Right. That that's got to be what's happening. That's got to be what the Holy Spirit's doing because there's no other way. Right. You've got an ancient text written to an ancient audience using um, ancient modes of. Uh, you know, on a literary uh, expression, etc. I'm not saying that this person's thinking that they're knowing the Greek, although that is a bit of an issue, right? When you come right down to it, you might say, so is the Holy Spirit guiding you to the best translation? Is the Holy Spirit, you know, helping you with, with translational issues or highlighting them for you? How, how is that working out? Right? But we didn't, we don't have to go there, right? I think, I think, I think this view is already problematic enough that I, I'm not going to have to go there and, and literally surgically pick it apart. The soft view is basically saying, you know, um, someone has shifted their position out of the hard view and they've taken the soft view now, which is, okay, yep, 
um, you kind of are, I'm seeing the point that study is important. I'm actually seeing, this is someone who brought, raised a few verses, saw that what she had raised were actually, a number of them were incorrect, right? In terms of presenting contradictory information or using texts way out of context. And it said, yeah, okay, I recognize I needed, I needed to study. I needed to go back. I needed to look at these verses again from a more um, thoughtful perspective. But that doesn't mean that God couldn't, at God's sovereign choosing at any point in any context, essentially, do what the people in the heart of you say God does all the time. So the God override is available all the time. God override. You just don't know when. You don't know when, for whom, under what circumstances. Right. So, which is mysterious. <laughs> I love how you keep coming back to this mystery thing. You kill me. Well, I'm open, just to be clear, I'm open for there being some mystery, but I've just seen the mystery card played so many times that it's one of the first cards that come out. <laughs> well, and I think it gets played because we, we think that we have to make good on certain things. Like we have to, in other words, we have to embellish, enhance, or prop up God's sovereignty to the extent that even if it doesn't seem natural, right, likely, even if we have no examples of it in our current experience, or we know of no situations like it, we still have to, we still say it has to exist. And so because we're having to prop up these ideas, we're having to basically buffer the fact that we don't have any good explanation for it and we, we fall back on mystery. So anytime somebody's going to mystery, my first thought is, well, is this listed as or described or presented as being mysterious in the biblical text? And the only place I know of, I and mean, there's a reference in Romans there, and, but the main references are in Ephesians 3. And this is Paul, and I'm talking about mystery, this whole idea of the mystery by which the Gentiles have been brought in, you know, and it's this kind of striking, amazing, powerful thing that what was just one small nation has now become the entire world. And I think that mystery also encompasses just some of the, the wonder of who God is, right? It, it, it kind of, I don't know if encompasses is the right word, but it, it, it leads on to that notion. But, but mystery isn't this sort of, yeah, I'm not sure about that, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a fallback for faulty logic, it's not a fallback for making of the Bible whatever you want and then saying as a kind of fallback, oh, well, it's just mysterious. We can't figure that out. Right. So back so, to the group. I took us off track. No, it's good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've got the elders there. I've got the, the pastor there. I've got the adolescents there. I mean, I guess by head count, there's probably, probably 15, 15 to 20 people there. You know, I was guess I'm guessing twelve to eighteen is somewhere somewhere in the number. I don't know though. There were a lot of a lot of young kids there, right? A lot of you know, twelve to fifteen to eighteen year olds. So we begin talking, and it was interesting to me because I, I'm trying to help folks engage with what they're presenting and say, okay, so this is what you believe. Let's let's road test this. And I had the road test thing all ready. I had it all laid out, and I was going to walk through it. And then, you know, bingo, somebody says to me, oh, well, I don't quite believe that anymore. I don't believe in the hard view. I'm taking the soft view. So I'm thinking, oh, okay. Well, that's pretty well, cool. It, it is good. I, I mean, I mean they it, were admitting that they were changing the position. E, e, um, 
Yeah, but I'm not really sure if that was an admission of changing their position or an indication that I hadn't understood them right the first time. And I, I and that mm, happened okay. a couple of times. And at least I would, I would say all of those times, I'm pretty sure I'd understood them correctly the first time. You know, and I think this has been the the one thing that I've noted in doing this process for myself as a as an area of improvement for me is that I take very seriously what they say. And part of what it is for me to respect them, even though I, I would disagree strongly with them, is to write down their comments, write down their references, go away and research those biblical references, come up with material, see what the material says. And every time I'm going into it, my approach is to say, could I have missed something? Could I have misunderstood? You know, unless it's something that I've just researched or, or I'm really thoroughly aware of. But if it's something new or new-ish, I will always go in with the attitude, I could be wrong. I could have missed something. There could be something mitigating. And maybe I'm not like all wrong, but maybe there's enough there for the conversation to kind of just basically, you know, swivel a bit, turn a bit. And so I'm always trying to give them as much of the benefit of the doubt as I can. But as a result, I really track with the details. And I'm realizing that most of the people haven't been there all the, like the whole time. And then their, their ability to track with details may be much less than mine. So I'm still, I'm still aware of what was said four weeks ago, and I'm focusing on, on replying to that because I, I want to deal with the backlog, whereas everybody else is just like, oh, oh, you just said this, and here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this response. <laughs> huh. So I had, a, I had a new person in there, and, and she kind of, unfortunately, no one heard her. Like I think everybody, they heard the words she spoke, but the words didn't impact them. She said, I wish everybody would just be quiet and let him teach. He hasn't had a chance to teach. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Like, I wasn't sure how people would respond and what sort of feedback I would get. But I I got that from a couple of people that as soon as I started talking, I was basically, you know, the arrow started getting shot at me. So it's it's dispute versus dialogue? (sighs) I think a little bit. I don't know that you see, and I think this is part of the issue and part of the, I think this is ultimately going to be a big part of the, 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 the pain point that people get to when we get to the real crux of it. Um, because I think they think they're doing what they should do. That's and, my view. I don't and what think, do you think the crux is though? Well, you see this whole thing arose the whole matter arose when I very first presented the issue from the first class. So someone presents something from the first class, we all go away. I take one thing, I bring it to the second class and I say, I want us to focus here. And all of this emphasis on biblical interpretation, all of these sort of Bible verses raised as, you know, uh, objections to my, my position have been raised against this original position. And this original position is the idea that God is overcoming all the time, that God's will is being done. And I cited, I mean, I could have cited a number of verses, but I just cited the Lord's Prayer. And I said, so, you know, our Father who is in heaven, reverence be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I said, obviously, God's will is not being done on earth because we're being told to pray for that. That's part of what we need to focus on as Christians. 
God's name is not being reverenced on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is not coming, has not yet come on earth as it fully has in heaven. And God, God's will is not being done. And as soon as I said that, there were a lot of opposition. There was a lot of opposition, pardon me. And of course, and one person even said to me, well, no, that's not how you read that verse. It doesn't really mean that God's will isn't being done. So I began to respond to these objections. And I think what I'm seeing now is, and... Well, that could just be, it's like a losing battle, right? If you just spend the whole time handling all the objections before you've even presented the whole thing. Sort of, yeah. And, And I think that the, you know, I've they've already shown themselves. So so one person has seen how by holding the hard view, she can't subs- uh, uh, substantiate that. She can't sustain it because she's actually shown herself that she's got it wrong. So either the Holy Spirit misled her, the Holy Spirit didn't show up, or she's got the wrong notion. So she doesn't like the first two options. She's going to take the third. I, I would do the same thing she's done and modify and say, okay, okay, I might be wrong about this. Well, good for you. But I think the real issue though, and, and this is the crux of the matter, that there's a three-letter word. It begins with S. It does not end with X. <laughs> and no one has raised it once but me. And then it's just gone completely. It's like under, totally under the radar. It's like under the water. Which is funny. The sin, right? It's sin. Which, I mean, our, our most... Most of our conversations on sin on this podcast have kind of been contrary to the normal evangelical position on it too. Yes, it? yes, so- and I'm, I'm, but I'm doing the same thing again now because I've got all these people who are very staunch evangelicals who are very certain that God's will is being done. And my next question, my next statement when I get in there on Sunday is going to be so. There are a lot of people who are concerned about the idea that God's will is being done. God's will is not being done on earth, which is what I'm, I say these verses are claiming. And some people are even claiming the verses don't mean that. But most of you seem to have some sort of an attachment to this idea. And I want to tell you that I am willing to go ahead and accept that God's will is being done on earth. If you would please, the only, whomever you are in the room, or however many of you are, if there's no sin in your life, if you could please just stand up, because obviously if there's sin in your life, God's will isn't being done in your life, but there is no, if there's no sin, God's will is being done in your life. And that's some evidence of this happening. So if you could just stand up <laughs> and I'm going to shut up and I'm going to sit down because normally I'm the guy standing because I'm standing beside the board. And then I'm going to ask them to listen, nobody's standing, but that's okay. If you know anybody, if you know anybody who has no sin in their life, could you just stand up for them? But what is, what's the significance of sin or not in their lives? How can God's will be done if, God, if you are sinning? If it's God's will that you not sin, how can God's will be done on this planet if you are sinning, or I am sinning, or someone else is sinning? This is the whole point. We have totally overlooked this. And they have gone three or four sessions of shooting out Bible verses without thinking. This is so ironic. The whole unit is titled myself. So where the heck should you start with this thing? Yourself. What would have happened to begin with if someone would have asked themselves the following question, is God's will being done in my life? 
And then they asked, well, what would that require? Well, I guess I'd have to be obedient. I'd have to be this. I'd have to be that. I'd have to be not sinning. Oh. Oh. You know, that doesn't work. It's just that easy. But for some reason, all these people who've grown up in the church, and not, I shouldn't say all of them, but, but not everybody has put themselves out there as saying, in fact, not too many people have put them out, themselves out there as saying, yeah, you know, I agree with you. God's will isn't being done on earth. That's exactly what that verse means. It means what it looks like it means. And I've got some people who are very staunch, staunchly objecting to that. And I've got a bunch of people who are quiet and a few people who are accepting. But but, do I, you, I no- but but from what I can recollect, we haven't talked about it in a long time. What I can re- recollect on your view on sin and what sin is, it's it's not a definition that they would share. So why? I'm, I'm not making the connection as to why you think this is so significant. Well, I think they would share it enough. You know, doing things that get in my way of of right relationship with God, they would probably say it much more harshly and much more directly. Like I'm doing things that are wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm grieving God. I'm whatever. Right. But I think we have the same basic notion that sin is not good, that sin is to be avoided or sin is to be, um, minimized. And so if that's the case, and if, you know, if you can say it's God's will that people sin, then I think I think that would cause more of a disruption than anything that's been said to this point. And I think you'd I would find a complete agreement that no, God's not willing that people sin. God's willing, God's will is that people don't sin, that people are Christ-like, that people are obedient, that people are in right relationship. Or you know, that's my word, right? But they would say something like that. So I guess it, it, for me, it's it's just so obvious. And the only way that we've managed to work around this, in other words, that the whole class over, the, over a series of weeks has been able to avoid this is, I think, falling right into this whole trap of self-deception. They're deceived into thinking that the idea of God's sovereignty is the number one place to be, that if we can make God bigger and better, that's what we're supposed to do. And one of the ways that we can do that is claiming that God's will is being done on earth. Well, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves. We're misreading the Bible. We're twisting a text, right? I may not know exactly what it means that God's will is done, like what constitutes that will being done, but I know enough to say, to, when I read the text to say, it's saying it's not being done. God's not being reverenced or his name is not being hallowed in the same way here as where God is, right? God's kingdom is not at the same place here, on earth as where God is. So there's a whole lot of um, deceit that's going on. And what's causing that? Well, that's people holding a view that's false, promoting it as truth, and sacrificing anything that gets in the way, including a sense of their own wrongness, which everybody would acknowledge. Right? There's nobody in my church, for instance, that I think is going to, if you said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, no one's going to put up their hand and go, hold no, on. except for me. <laughs> hold on a minute. Just a minute. Just hold, slow down. No one's going to do that. Right? That's a, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. Everyone nods. That's a head nodder. And you know what? I'm nodding my head too. I, I believe that. So why on earth has it taken this many people this long 
and they still haven't seen that. Seems to me that's the perfect lead-in to um, a unit, a a section of the discussion on self-deception and of the need to cultivate suspicion. You know, because they're very suspicious of me. (laughs) They're very (laughs) suspicious of the idea that I'm promoting, which is, hey, God's will's not being done. Because this is touching something that they think is the number one priority. And they're allowing their sense of the number one, their reading of the number one priority, which is that God is sovereign and God can do anything to get in the way of this whole idea that, no, you know what, things are a little more complicated. In fact, uh, God's will can't be, be, be doing, being done because you're here and I'm here and she's here and he's here. And so that was just kind of, it was interesting to me just to see how the trajectory has gone because I've been trying to respect them. And part of my process of respecting is to take seriously their objections, to work through them And I hoped through this process to be able to kind of bring them closer, bring them towards my way of thinking. And I think what I'm seeing is that there's been some movement, but I really don't know that that movement has enough honesty to take them to a place of saying, hey, you know what? I've actually been just pushing back against you most of the time you've been talking. I really haven't been listening so much as trying to formulate arguments against you. I've been already presupposing that what I know for whatever reason is right and what you know for whatever reason is wrong. And I've been presupposing that the Spirit is with me and the Spirit couldn't possibly, the Holy Spirit couldn't possibly be talking through you, Greg, to help me understand that my way of interpreting the Bible is not only problematic, it might be sinful. Whoa. Right? So what should, so in hindsight, so what would you do next time? Say you were running this class as a, I don't know, you were just, say people were hiring you to teach this class at their church or inviting you to come do it and you were to start all over again. What would you do differently? Nothing. Okay. I guess I was hearing you say that you've been like chasing down all these things too much and that that was a bad call or a misinvestment of your energy or something. So this is a hard thing to say, and I, but I'm going to say it because I, I will have to say it to the group about eventually. But I've been surprised. I have been truly surprised that there has been so little willingness to consider other points of view and that there have been so many people who have dug their heels in, even though they seem to have such little basis for doing so. You're like, no one's presented me with any objections to, um, that are of any substance. Now, why is that surprising? Like, it doesn't well, sound surprising to me. I guess, John, if, 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 if I am in a position of, I don't know, if I'm going for a mechanics course, and I guess I, I'm looking for an analogy, you know, it's like taking a course at a local college, and it's probably just, uh, there probably is no really good analogy. But if I was doing something and my sense of self and everything was, was kind of tied up in this, uh, yeah, I might be in tension. You know, like I still am when somebody raises something and I think, oh man, that's really problematic. 
And I can feel anxious. I can feel tense. I don't sort of just have this idea of, oh yeah, that's just crap because it's not what I think. That can't be true because it's not what I think. Um, I, I still offer that perspective, the possibility of being right and me being wrong. But um, I'm just surprised that there has been such little willingness. I guess it's almost like I'm not just dealing. I remember a friend of mine gave me an example of his brother who just finished an MBA and he was all psyched and pumped about his first job. And he's like, oh yeah, workplace productivity. And that was his thing. And he was going to go in there and help this company. And his brother got just stymied and stymied and stymied and stymied. And eventually after a fair bit of time at this contract, he came out and he said, you know, the problem isn't that these people don't know how to overcome their issues or that their issues are confusing and they don't see them. The problem is they don't want to. Or they don't want it bad enough. I guess not. But they, yeah, they don't want it. Whatever, whatever it is they do want, they want more than getting to the bottom of whatever problem there might be. And I guess, you know, it was interesting because one of the people said to me a couple sessions ago and she said, so you're not backing down on your view? And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> And after and you're after like, well, will you back down on yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't ask her that question because I thought I'm not going to. No, I know. You know, I, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for her and everyone else either to back down or to say, okay, my view's not rational or I'm holding my view for a different reason. So I guess, yeah, it's, I wouldn't do anything differently. I would hold this piece about sin and see, okay, is somebody going to raise this? Right? Is somebody going to raise the obvious elephant in the room? How can God's will be being done if God's will isn't being done in this church, in my life, in your life, et cetera, et cetera? How can God's will be done when we're still sinful creatures on this earth? And we are God's followers, by the way, let alone all those people that aren't God's followers. No, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's obvious. It's right in front of our faces. And I guess I didn't, I didn't, I didn't respond to it because I thought, okay, you know what? They Let's can see. keep raising responses and I can keep offering, like they can offer reject objections and I can offer responses. And eventually we're going to get to a point where they're going to dry up. I don't think we ever would. My, my hunch for a couple of them is we're never going to get to that point, hmm. you know, and they were just going to cycle through some of these things and raise them and not, not, not be willing to back down because whatever it is, and I don't know if it's being right about what their views are. I don't know if it's terror of the idea that their views are wrong or that's, you know, if that view is gone, then what replaces it? But I think that there is a level of um, deceit and dishonesty that surprises me. I have to be honest that I'm surprised. Hmm. And I think next time I would simply go into it with my eyes more open and say, okay, different group. Who knows what's going to happen? And we'll go two, three rounds, you know, and this crime, of course, I've already gone through so many of these objections that I'll, I'll have these things much handier and we can talk about them. You know, I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what the next round is going to be like, but I'm still liking this round. Uh, <laughs> like I'm liking it now, mm -hmm. you know, and um, yeah, I it's think been the, quite a journey to get here. It has been. And, and I think the other thing that's well, and I don't know. Like I, I was going to say the other thing that's, that's, that's interesting to me is I'm seeing that 
Some of this I do with them in their presence. Some of this I do by sending them an email and, and saying, read the email. Like and I, I put my reading time on the email. This email takes 12 minutes. I put it in bold and put it on the email. <laughs> so they're going to read it, right? Because they're going to have to come in aware of some of this. But I think now the interesting thing is I've got their attention. You know, if I would have started with this email at the beginning, no one would read it. Now, everybody's willing to read a 15-minute email because they're all worried. You know, somebody's called the elders in. And, and the, I think, <laughs> yeah, so what will the elders do was going to be my other point. You know, will, will they, do they have the ability, do they have the savvy to say, oh, yeah, this is wrong. This is wrong teaching. Oh, really? On what basis? You know, and I'm not, I'm not going to resist them if they were to say, need you to stop. But I would ask them a few questions, mm -hmm. you know. But to, um, to what you were saying a little bit ago, though, about how, you know, asking people, you know, is God's will being done? And, you know, what do you do with that? Mm. My, if I were to hunch at any answer, this will sound sarcastic. It's a little sarcastic, but it's it's really honestly the answer that I would expect to hear, which mm. is, well, no, but, you know, that's why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross makes it all better. So, so yeah, no, none of us is, you know, is God's will being lived out in my life and every moment of the day. Of course not. I'm human, you know, but, you know, all that was taken care of. 2000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And so all I have to do is ask forgiveness and claim that. And we're back to zero. You know, mm. everything's fine. Right. What's next? You seem really unwilling to stick on the point. The point is, do you agree with me on this verse now? I guess you're saying you do. So everybody now agrees. Is that right? Uh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I guess my thought would also, and I would probably also come back with, Wow. My sense of what I would say, of what, what, what I thought would happen, would be the people would say, holy smokes, I didn't see that. I wasn't paying attention to that. That seems rather dishonest of me. But instead, you slipped into another Bible verse. You slipped out of one context and into another context. That doesn't seem like some really good ways of practices for people who are trying to read books like the Bible according to their context. People are slipping in and out of various different positions here. No, and that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, because that, that's kind of what I just did. This is exactly what you did. And I didn't realize I... That's fascinating. Right. And, and I would see that between you and me, I would say so my approach very, is... So it's a very practiced behavior. Yes. Yes. You're, you're trying to find information, basically, or trying to back up a particular view with a verse rather than thinking generally about the situation and trying to focus in on, you know, okay, well, what's the matter at hand? The matter at hand is, is God's will being done in this world? And you've all been claiming yes, but you're all a whole bunch of sinners. So what? Where do you get off saying things like that? You know, and then, and then to back into, to back into Jesus on the cross. No, this has nothing to do with Jesus on the cross. No one's talking about salvation. We're talking about sin. Don't change the topic on me. Stay on topic. Because if you want me to teach this class and you're actually here to listen and learn, I expect you to stay on topic. 
My job is to teach. Your job is to listen, interact, question, dispute, whatever. But if you want to talk about something else, that would be another venue, another place, not here. So in other you words, know, stay I would on cut topic. That one down. Hmm? In other words, stay on topic. Stay we, on topic. We can't, we can't jump between 10 different topics. We have to pick one and go somewhere with it. Well, and we, we have, and I think what I would see, you know, I would, I would probably say something like, um, I think this is an excellent, excellent lead into self-deception because it seems to me that what you're trying to do here is get out of, wiggle out from under the impact of the criticism that falls on you and falls on a lot of people in this room could very well fall on me. That we've been doing this for four weeks and somehow nobody's figured out that they're sinful and that's the reason why we can't, this, this isn't possibly well, every objection you've been raising is false. But here's the hardest thing about this entire thing. This is so clear to me. Tell me. When I am unwilling to see something or uh, accept a certain, a certain situation, I become defensive. Mm-hmm. And in my defensiveness, I'm not able to see my defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and that's often, especially with my wife, it can kind of send us around in circles. Because she's like, "Well, you're dug in. You're you're just not see. You're 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 so focused on defending yourself that you can't see this." And I'm like, "No, I'm seeing this as broadly as I can, and I just don't buy it." And you know, but but and then mm-hmm. later it can be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I I, wow, I was so intent on defending myself, and maybe this is where the deceit comes in." Like I was so unable to own or accept this particular situation. I can't, I'm not thinking of anything in particular, but because I couldn't get there, maybe there is a level of deceit that's going on, but then you can't see the deceit. It's like you're stuck in this loop. You can't break out of. Yeah. And and I think that's where, you know, someone like Westfall, who uh, I would like to use a lot. So Merrill Westfall wrote a book called Suspicion and Faith. And we might talk about sinful practices, right? In other words, these are some of some of the way that the ways that people use the Bible are deeply sinful. Using the Bible to get out and away from the Bible's critique of you. Wow, that's a biggie, right? Don't do that. And I think because those things are established within us as practices. Like it's a sinful practice to fail to listen to someone who's an atheist on their perspective. How are you loving the other by failing to listen to them? You want them to listen to you. Loving the other means, means caring for them and attending to their views and their perspectives as much as you care for and attend to your own. But we constantly as Christians fail to do this and no one points the finger and says, you know what? This whole church has failed to listen to atheists and agnostics. This whole church has just thought they've got it all right. And whenever somebody comes in here with a divergent view, they'll get the two, three, four, 15 minutes of patience followed by the gospel. Nobody's really paying attention. Nobody's really loving these people. Doesn't mean you have to be ready to change your views because somebody comes in here who doesn't believe what you do. But no one is giving these people anything like the care and love that we are supposed to as Christians. I never hear that. I never hear that. That was part of my master's work, right? Saying, this is a big issue. We're totally oblivious to this. As a, as a culture, as an evangelical church culture, nobody does this because we've got it all right. So 
it's interesting when you said like, I'm glad you mentioned that and I'm glad you went through that scenario with me because I'll be maybe ready for it when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, um, I would categorize all of that as, so it's not only this kind of sinful, this is really interesting, John. It's not only this sinful method of biblical interpretation, but a very sinful method of biblical application. I'm applying the Bible in a way that allows me to dodge the Bible's critiques of me. And I'm claiming that the Spirit is leading me as I'm doing it. Do you see it? Like it is real. It is right there in front of us. That is just the beauty of self-deceit. Yeah, it's so slippery. Doing what I claim not to do and covering up my tracks as I go. And it's a practice, it's built in, it's right there. And how often do Christians talk about this sort of stuff? How often do they have a chance? Like, I've, I've never heard of it. Well, it does happen. I mean, I've heard it in the sense of, I, I don't know, I feel like there's a time and place where people will get really down on themselves about how because of sin or whatever, you know, they can't make any good decisions and you know, without God's help, they'll just do the wrong thing every single time. So it does yeah. happen, but it it wouldn't be connected to a discussion like we're having now. I don't know. I don't think. And I don't know that it'd ever be connected with their with their with their Bible reading or their Bible and biblical interpretation, right? They're they're looking at their own actions and their own thoughts. But the Bible's great. The Bible's just fine. Which is why you see so many Christians who are like we got to start with the Bible. No, you got to start with you because believe it or not, you're totally screwed up. So how is you screwed up? You going to go in there and use this text, engage with this text in a loving, caring, open way, and somehow allow its truth to come out? You're going to allow the truth to come out that says you're great, if that's what the thing that you can hear. You're probably going to allow the truth to come out that says you're you're terrible, if that's what you can hear. But there aren't too many people who are able to allow the truth of the biblical affirmation of who they are and the biblical critique of who they are to come out and to allow those things to come out at the right times to be able to do what? To push them forward on that road to becoming Christ-like. And I think that is just, I mean, that's, that's the road to maturity and I I don't think there are too many people on that in the churches I've ever been in. So, All right, I'm going to throw out an advertisement for you here that, that you have no idea about. <laughs> throw it. So I'm telling the internet that if you want Greg to facilitate discussions at your church, <laughs> <laughs> rather in person, I'm sure he'd be glad to do that, or even over Skype. We recently did a little, I did a little, session with Greg and a couple of his friends uh-huh. where Greg, pre- it was really cool. Greg presented on a whiteboard and we, it was more discussion than it was presentation, but you walked us through some really cool things and it was, it was a, it was a really kind of an illuminating experience. Nice. So I'm just letting people know that Greg is available for that. And, you know, just send an email to feedback at untangling Christianity and I'll make sure he gets the message and, you know, maybe it's just a crazy idea that you want to try at your church, or maybe you want to throw around some of these ideas uh, with us or the podcast or whatever. So there's my advertisement for you. You're awesome. All right. I am surprised. 
but thank you. <laughs> and note, he did not decline. He, he hasn't dis- declined. He's not saying, no way, I won't do that. I have so. not. I will not decline. No, no. If it comes, if it comes out, I will definitely give it a, a serious consider. All right. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.